Alrighty then, welcome back everybody. Sorry, we are really having troubles today, technically, technical, uh, technical issues, and uh, I think we got them straightened out. Uh, so for those of you who heard the first part, you're going to hear it again. And it's because you're big sinners. No offense. I'm not judging. You're just probably in danger of hell. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, so what we'll do is I'm just going to kind of start over. Okay. So hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp. And you are not. And today, today, today is Thursday, May something or other. And I think it's 2022. Is it May still? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yesterday's show was really cool. Yeah, we went to the MSU basketball office and we interviewed Nick, who's just an amazing dude. Uh, and he's the head trainer there. Um, and then we interviewed some guy named Tom. Yeah. I don't, I wasn't clear on what he does, uh, but he had a weird last name. <laughs> so no kidding. Uh, thanks, Coach Izzo, for joining us. Thanks, Nick, for joining us. And you guys, I, I don't mean to, that, when Nick being on there, that was a gift of love. You know, that really was. That's not his thing. And uh, yet he stepped out of his comfort zone and jumped right on the grenade. We, we didn't have to beg him. Uh, but uh, bless his beautiful heart. And to his family, thank you for sharing Nick with us. He's a new friend to me, right? Just the last, I don't know, three to six months. And uh, he's a new friend to all of us. And, and what a good dude, really, really. Uh, so <clears throat> what we're doing today, I'm excited about. Uh, we're stepping into the next section of our foundation series. And my goal is to, the reason we're calling it foundations is because this has been something that's been on my heart forever. <clears throat> this idea that a lot of Catholics, we know steps 10 through 20, but nobody really taught us one through 10. We tend to lack a foundation. So since I was little, I've known Jesus loves me, right? I've known he's been irritated with Chuck. Uh, but <laughs> no, wait, that's Cassie. Sorry, I get her and Jesus mixed up all the time. Yeah, uh, she, Cassie loves Chuck, but she's irritated with him. Um, and you might think, why did something happen? No, this is every day. Uh, have you met Chuck? I just told the bishop, right? The bishop called right before the show started because he thought he was supposed to be on today, which was awesome. But he was so happy to not be. Bless his beautiful heart. But he said to me, what's going on with the Tiger pitchers? Do you realize all five of our starters are now on the IL? And I told him that Chuck was punching them in the arm. So you might be excommunicated. Sorry about that. But one of the things in terms of foundations is Catholics have a tough time uh, maybe understanding why we say what we say. So we say Jesus loves us. But then nobody at least, I think, teaches us we got to grow in love. We have to grow in our understanding of love. We can never be content with our love. And we can't pretend that the world knows how to define it. Right. Like, and I, I, this is so, I, this is a pet peeve, right? You're having some theological discussion on Facebook or Twitter and some, uh, you know, theological genius replies, well, God just said we're going to love each other. And it's like, yeah, I read that part. Uh, we're trying to figure out what is loving. Uh, what is the best? If I love you, do I say, heck yeah, put your hand on orange glowy thing. Or if I don't, if I love you, do I say, that's going to burn you if you touch it. I know you really want to, but it's not good for you, right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. That's from the book of, in the Bible. 
So what I want us to do is, is kind of walk through this so that we understand our faith better, so that we can see the power of it, and so that we can answer questions uh, within ourselves and outside of ourselves. Because questions is the big thing, isn't it? I see this all the time on the internet. It takes one sentence to destroy, and it takes three pages to rebuild. So someone puts up a clever little meme that makes something Christians believe seem stupid. Well, because it's shallow, it's an easy thing to do. Just throw out a sentence. But the answer to it takes forever. This is why Peter Crave says this. Dr. Peter Crave, right? He says, civilization is always defeated by barbarity. The bull always beats the china shop. Um, and uh, for us... While we might not be called to and probably are not called to answer every little one sentence stupid thing, right, or misjudgment about the church, we're certainly called to know the answer within ourselves so that if we encounter someone who's not intellectually lazy or who really wants to know, we can do it. We can do it. We can have that discussion. And if we can't have the discussion, we can allow God to maintain within us a sense of certainty, a sense of humble certainty, by the way. Um, you with me? Yeah. So one of the reasons to, uh, and I was, it turns out Chuck had seen this, but a bunch of people had sent me a video, I think from TikTok, uh, where a Baptist minister kind of goes on and on about Catholics, okay? And he doesn't get crazy. He doesn't like rant and rave. And I hesitate to bring it up because I don't want this to be about Catholics versus Baptists. But I feel like I kind of need to for some of you because this is a great example of why we're trying to build a solid foundation because he's not Catholic. So he doesn't have a solid foundation in Catholicism. And there were all of these comments back. I used to be Catholic, and then I got saved in the Baptist church. Okay, um, And then, of course, there were Catholics on there, right, pulling the pin and throwing grenades or trying to reason with him. There's no use in it, right? He doesn't even understand Catholicism, which is fine. He's not Catholic. But <clears throat> here in the end, and I had this discussion many times at MSU, Okay, that one of the things he talks about is how the Pope uh, were wrong about having a Pope and whatever intelligent, Jesus loving people can have that argument all day. Okay, but here's the crazy part, and I mean this with all love. Look at my face, listen to my voice. Okay, this is with a ton of love in my heart. He does believe in the papacy, he just thinks it's him with, with four sentences. He condemned, he did something the church has never, ever done in her 2,000 year history, condemned 1.2 billion people to hell, okay? Uh, and he was so confident. There was no humility that I could discern. Uh, instead, it was Catholics believe this, and I know that, and blah, blah, blah. He was speaking with more authority than any pope ever has. And it was astounding to me that he can't see that. He couldn't see it. He was too confident. Right, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, was three rows behind him. Okay. Now, am I condemning him? No, I'm saying this is why we need solid foundations. Because wrong people can be passionate too. Uh, wrong people can know how to use the right words. Like Pastor Williams and I, Pastor Marvin Williams, and you know, I adore him. We agree on theological things, 
but the man has never attacked me. He has never, well, Catholics, blah, 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 and Catholics, blah, blah, blah. He's asked me, now why do Catholics do this? And we've talked. That's lovely. How good and how pleasing it is when brothers live in unity. huh? But I've never heard Pastor Williams act like a pope. I've never heard him speak infallibly and condemn infallibility. You see? Um, and I know, I know I'm biased, right? I think Pastor Williams is God's twin. I do. Um, and, uh, but I just want to point out that when you and I have a solid foundation, these guys who are building up their own personal churches can rant and rave all they want. And they can be wrong about us, and that's okay. But we want to make sure we know the truth. And we want to make sure that by knowing the truth, we're able to perceive the truth when others speak. Because some people who speak the truth are awful public speakers. Uh, I obviously won't say his name. There was a priest when I first got ordained who was, uh, and I say this with love, <laughs> one of the worst homilists I've ever heard in my life. And if you talk to the congregation, they would tell you he is one of the most boring priests God ever made. And his masses were packed. Because in that horrible delivery, in that slow monotone, he hit home run after home run, after home run. Isn't that beautiful? And Catholics can do this. I've seen it, right? I have, I have. A lot of non-Catholic churches, it's personality-based, and there's no sin there. I wanna be clear, that's not a condemnation. You have a charismatic, intelligent, loving, holy pastor, and bam, people clump in. Well, you see Catholic churches with not charismatic, not good-speaking priests, and they're packed. And you could see a church with a very personable, excellent preacher, and it's empty. A lot of Catholics get it. Right? It's great to have an entertaining priest or a good preacher, but we'd rather have a holy dude, whether he's boring or not, whether he's a good preacher or not. I love that about Catholics, and it sucks. I've been in the pew too. Yeah. I'm actually creeping up on when I will bend out of the pew longer than I was in the pew. Does this make sense? No, no, yeah. Yeah, so I was a civil, huh? Really, are you there yet? Yeah. Are you there yet? Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. So Carrie and Chuck have both been married not to each other. Uh, um, although, I was gonna make a bigamy joke. Right, do you remember my bigamy joke? Two women asked me to marry them, I said yes to both. Don't you think that was bigamy? No, they've been, they've been lived as married people longer than they have. I remember dad, when mom died, he was standing at her grave, 80 years old. And he said, I've been with your mother since I was 16. And he literally said, I don't know what to do. I was like, wow, 74 years with her? No, 64 years with her, 16 without. Holy crap. How long without Cassie? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. How long with Cassie? Twenty-nine. Isn't that cool? How long without John? Yeah. Oh wait, I can't ask you because then you'll tell us your age. Twenty-five or twenty-six. Yeah. Okay. It matter. Nice. Oh. Well, so I sat in the pews for twenty-eight years. Yeah. I've been a priest for twenty-four. Isn't that crazy? So I'm getting there. Why are we talking about this? Do you remember? I don't know. Jesus and God and stuff. <laughs> So what we'll do now is review, how are people doing? Is everybody no. left? Okay. No. 
so what we'll do now, uh, huh? Oh, great. Okay, first, I'll take a drink of my Pepsi, the choice of the next generation. <laughs> well, what was the thing? Pepsi didn't make the Starlight Demon blood taste, did they? Wasn't that think, Coke? I do think we should. We, we have room to do some more taste testing with you. So okay. I think we'll take people's suggestions of what they would like to see you taste test. Yeah, and don't just send me bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be other? Father, try the skunk juice. Which bleach do you like better? <laughs> Clorox. Mmm. It got my teeth pearly white. Yeah, if you want me to keep taste testing things, just don't send me all demon juice. I mean, that's just science. Oh, did I tell you Dad figured something out? He said you had Coke Zero and liked it before. Did I tell you the story? Really? Oh, yeah. So he was shocked, and I was shocked. And he said, remember, we were in the truck. And then I remembered, we've had Coke Zero, and I said, Dad, this is good, but here was the key. So we did a, uh, what do you call it, uh, experiment. Yes. We filled the glass with ice, poured Coke Zero in it, and let it percolate, so, yeah. and then drank it, and it was good. Well, okay, that doesn't count. Cold versus warm. Right. I mean, and it wasn't good, like, mmm. I mean, it's been proven that cold deadens your taste buds. <sighs> Oh, he strokes his beard thoughtfully. Yes. Okay. And how thirsty were you when you had it? Right, <laughs> right. Now, Dad was, as it turns out, a little offended is the wrong word, but he likes Coke Zero. <laughs> he was a little offended. He was like, son, I'm going to have to kill you now. I have others. I won't even notice you're gone. <sighs> so what we'll do is a quick review to get us to today's topic, which is Pentecost. Okay, because what we've done the last few weeks, right, is we went through Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and his resurrection. And I think we went through his ascension, right? Yes. Okay. And now we'll hit Pentecost. Oh, and then we went through the disciples, right? So uh, to review, what we want to remember is you and I, the human race, was created by a community of persons, called the Trinity, a community of life and love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three individual persons who are constantly emptying themselves into each other. So the Son is pouring the fullness of himself into the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pouring the fullness of himself into the Son and the Father. The Father is pouring the fullness of himself into the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this dynamic, just picture this dynamic thing of three persons who are one because their love is so perfect and so emptying of self and filling of the others. Okay. That's what made the human race. And because of that, the first thing that uh, creature, that trinity did, was make a community of persons. A husband and a wife, a male and a female, that cannot make life individually, but can only make life together. Okay? That when their bodies become one, there is the possibility of creating eternal beings. Isn't that something? I mean, just never forget how incredible that is. And what they're doing with their bodies is supposed to be reflective of what they're doing with their souls. That they're emptying the fullness of themselves into each other, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and in that creating an eternal life, an eternal creature, the soul, the human soul, which will, again, I always say, will outlast time. 
Okay? That was God's intent, that these human creatures perfectly imitate the Trinity and how they live and love and create. At some point, our nature got distorted. We call this the fall. The evil one tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. And in disobeying God, their nature got broken. This perfect connection with God got weakened. Uh, not broken forever, but definitely weakened. It took a hard hit. And when our nature got bad, it became hard for us to choose good. Sin became easier. It became easier to be less like God than to be more like God. Uh, a lot of deception had to occur for human beings to sin. And once we sinned, it distorted our nature so that we ended up finding it much easier to act less, less like God than to act like God. How are we doing so far? Okay. So the entirety of the rest of the Bible is in the words of Father John Ricardo, God's rescue plan. What is he going to do to help us? How is he going to run to our rescue? The law was the attempt right? The law was kind of the first big move. And what did the law do? Well, the law could identify, don't do that and do that. But that's all it could do. When you did that, which you weren't supposed to do, or didn't do that, which you were supposed to, all the law could do, yeah, you blew it. It couldn't heal you. It couldn't forgive you. It couldn't restore you. It could give you the model to strive for. But our human nature did two things to that law to really screw it up. Uh, number one is we kept asking what ifs. We abandoned the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. So God says, honor your father and mother. That's the commandment, right? Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land I have given you. And for most of us, if we're truly honest, that's enough. But we're not always honest. And so we ask the obvious questions. Well, what if my father and mother are horrible, abusive drunks who tried to kill me? What do you think? Right? Do you think then that that's the same standard as a mom and dad who loved you and were imperfect but did their absolute best? But we demanded God give us the exception. And then we went, well, see that exception? Well, does it apply here and here? Right, this is what we do. The law can never solve our problems because smart, wicked people will always find a way around it. I think I told you that that study I read said 3% of the human race is psychopathic. Do you know this? 3% of the human race is psychotic in some way. What happens when they get a hold of the law? They find a way around. Like, for those of you who are my age or around, remember all this in the 80s where, well, this criminal killed a woman and then when the police arrested him, they did it wrong and now he went free. Yeah, remember this? And that happened. And so what did we do? We said, well, we shouldn't have let him go. But guys, what's the alternative? Right? If you have people who will only obey the very written point-for-point -point law, if we don't leave room for the spirit of the law... Well, then, of course, there's always going to be people who find the holes, right? Are we doing good? But then we might say, well, then we need to do the spirit of the law. Well, you know what happens then, right? That same 3% uses the spirit of the law principle to break the law. It is an unsolvable puzzle, right? It's a Rubik's cube with no solution. 
but we just keep cranking, cranking, cranking. Why? Because of our human nature. We refuse to address the problem. We want to address the symptoms. Yeah? It's like having a cold or a, like, you know, every year, twice a year, I'm waiting for mine. Did I tell you this? Twice a year, I'm going to get a sinus and lung infection. It just happens. That's how it works. And can you imagine if when I got it, I just kept blowing my nose? Not drinking water, not taking the medicine I'm supposed to take, not doing all this, but just, no, I'll just keep blowing my nose. <laughs> That's what we do because it's so much easier. We don't go after right? The, 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 the disease, we keep addressing symptoms. So that's the first curse of the law. The second curse of the law is you do have people who are uber disciplined and really sharp and can memorize the entirety of the law, 614 laws it was. And now they're holy, right? Oh, they're holy. They're so holy. They gave themselves the title, the righteous ones. <laughs> and what do they lack? Um, humility. And they lack flexibility. Uh, they lack the ability to apply the law in a way that makes sense. Uh, all they can do is say, this is the principle. You didn't meet it. Well, I'm sick. And my mom, right? Like this whole thing. And I'll get this a lot. A 90-year-old woman, right? Well, I missed mass last week, so I'm going to confession. Well, why'd you miss mass? Well, I was having surgery. God's not a jerk. Yeah. Uh, right. He's not a jerk. What would a Pharisee say? You missed mass. Do penance. Right. You get me. These are the curses of the law. Um, sorry. These are the curses of the law. And it gives us trouble. All the law can do is say don't and do. Right. So what then? If the symptom, if the law can only address the symptoms, what's the disease? Do you remember what got distorted? Our human nature, right? Our human nature's distortion is the root of the problem. So what did God do? I'll take on your nature. He took his divine person and entered into the fullness of the human experience. You're conceived and born. I'll be conceived. I will be in a womb for nine months because you're in a womb for nine months. Okay. You were born, I'll be born. Some of you are born in violence and darkness and chaos. Gotcha. Violence, darkness, chaos. Check, check, check. That the moment that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, human nature changed. The divine was infused into the human. <coughs> they came together to create this new thing. So Jesus described it this way a little bit, well, much later. He was in the womb at this point and he wasn't talking much. He said, of men born of a woman, no one's greater than John the Baptist. But of those born in the kingdom of God, John the Baptist is the least. What? John the Baptist was born before Jesus. Human beings changed when Jesus was conceived in his mom's womb. And how was he conceived? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He had two sets of DNA, right? His mom's and theoretically Joseph's. I don't know. I don't know what God did there. Uh, but someone asked me, I think, uh, I think I talked about this. Well, could it have just been Mary's DNA? No, because then that's Mary, right? Uh, Jesus was fully human. That means there was two sets of DNA that came together and made a unique, unrepeatable human. Jesus, just like you. You're a unique, unrepeatable strand of DNA. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think of, especially me. 
Oh, uh, there's a question. Did Jesus always exist or did he become at conception? The second person of the Trinity always existed, right? He is outside of. So we say, uh, come Holy Spirit. Thank you, your creed, right? We say he proceeds. Why? We don't have a word for whatever it is because you and I are in linear time. God is not. Jesus always existed, right? The second person of the Trinity was always in existence, okay? Um, great question. Excuse me. I should have said that because that really is a fine question. Uh, so the moment Jesus was conceived in his mom's womb, human nature changed. He took human nature and mixed it with divine. And for the rest of Jesus' life, every human experience that didn't involve sin is sanctified. Uh, and Dr. Kraft put it this way. The first time baby Jesus cried, tears became holy. Right. Uh, the first time Jesus, uh, uh, I don't know, just he went through this whole list of anything Jesus did that uh, that humans do that isn't sin. That became holy because he mixed the divine into the human. And what did he do? He said, you keep the law. He was strict about that, but he applied it in a godlike way. He pointed to how human nature had bent the law to serve human nature instead of God. His teaching, his work, his life all showed us this is how it, this is how we live under the law. We are not the master. The law is not the master. The law is the servant. And what is it the servant of? God, not us. Yeah. Since we get betrayed, since we get abandoned, he got betrayed and abandoned. Since we are accused unjustly, he was accused, accused unjustly. And since we die, he died. And when he died, our sinful human nature died and went right in the ground. Okay. And we went through the whole thing about how on Holy Thursday, he began taking all of the guilt of the human race onto himself so that when he died, our sins died too. So did our nature, right? Our nature died that day. And if the story ended there, we're the most blessed people in the universe, but it didn't. All of our darkness wasn't enough to put out his light. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He proved that that divine human nature in him was stronger than anything humans can create by themselves. He stayed with the disciples and he ascended into heaven. Why did he ascend into heaven? Why didn't he just stick around? A few reasons. I'll give you two. Let's do two. Okay. One, uh, as long as Jesus existed on earth as the resurrected Christ, as long as, well, he was always going to be limited by time and space, right? He would have the limitations somewhat of a human. It's hard to explain. He couldn't be in three places at once. So if, if we needed him in Washington, D.C., and oh, we need him, he would need to come to Washington, D.C. and leave there. Okay? But the second reason is the real one, the real important one, excuse me. He had to take our nature to heaven. That human nature needed to enter heaven in him so that human nature could get to heaven. It's like a key, isn't it? So he takes our human nature up to heaven, and now heaven is a possibility for anyone who's like Christ, who clings to Christ and lets him drag us through. That's where we are. How we doing? Okay. Uh, so now we get to what he did when he left. 
namely, he then took his spirit and diffused it among the entire body of Christ. So remember this whole thing, I'm going to cough, <clears throat> where we went through with St. Paul, where we see that Jesus uh, made us his body. This is why we say Mary's our mother, because we are the body of Christ. We are his hands, his eyes, his ears, his heart, all of it on earth, because he's not limited by that anymore, because what did he do? Took his spirit and put it inside of us. Ruah. Uh, in Hebrew, pneuma, in Greek, God breath. Uh, so if we go way back to the beginning, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. We remember God took the dust of the earth, formed a man and what? <sighs> Breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, ruah, God breath. And that animated thing became human. That, that, that thing, sorry, became an animated, living, breathing human. I think I told you about this, about for the Jews, that was a direct contrast to the Egyptians who they lived among. And what did the Egyptians do? Well, when they wanted a god, they would build a statue of it and then take it into its temple and the priests would breathe their breath into the nostrils of the statue and that's what made it a god. What were they worshiping themselves? God breathed into dust and it became human. Okay. <laughs> that breath of God is inside of you. And when Jesus died and rose, he sent his spirit then and diffused it among all of us. So that inside of us, in the words of St. Paul, we carry this treasure in earthen vessels. We have these little earthen vessels that are breakable. That's us. But inside of it is an unspeakable treasure, the very spirit of the living God. It's inside of each of us. Holy cow. When you wonder how a 19-year-old girl, a 19-year-old Albanian can get on a train and go to hell on earth and transform it, right? Mother Teresa. Well, that's the spirit of the living God. When you wonder how Maximilian Colby could say, no, no, torture me to death, not him. He's got a family. Well, that's the spirit of the living God. When you wonder how St. Catherine of Siena can basically end the Avignon papacy <laughs> without any political power. Oh, spirit of the living God. How could St. Francis live such a radical life of crazy poverty? The Holy Spirit. And I could go on and on. Right? Every great saint, you know, how did they do it? Um, the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can do it. They recognized, fostered, and, and uh, cultivated an understanding of what lives inside of them. How do the apostles, thrown in jail and told, don't you dare mention Jesus' name again. How do they say, yeah, you're going to have to kill us because we're going to talk about it. Where do they get that kind of courage? Didn't they all run from him? Yeah, but then they received the Holy Spirit. This spirit is in you and I. Um, and for Catholics, we believe that at baptism, that Holy Spirit enters the Lord. But when we in, into the baby, but as they get older, right, we have this ritual called confirmation, which is an activation of that spirit. The kids are now old enough to cooperate with the grace that is being offered them. 
before that age that the idea I think really is, well, they can do what's right because what's right's kind of simple when you're a kid, isn't it? It doesn't involve a lot of thinking. In fact, when you're a kid, you can just commit to, I'm going to do whatever mom and dad say to do, and I'm not going to do everything they don't say. They say don't do. And in that you can know, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. But at some point your brain gets to the point where it can do the moral math. It can do the spiritual math. And then that's a time to activate that spirit within. That spirit of wisdom, understanding, of knowledge and counsel, of piety and fortitude and fear of the Lord. Right? That these things are activated at confirmation inside of the person. And that Holy Spirit is stirred up within them. I always used to use an example oh, of a bottle of Coke. Right? I always used to use this. I used this for years in a million talks. And I quit doing it because I got sick of talking about it. Right? But this, I always said, is like you. You're up to here in the Holy Spirit. And what confirmation does is that. And then your job is to open up. I won't do it because I got a computer right here. You know. Your job is to open up your heart and let the Holy Spirit get everywhere. Right? That's the image I always used to use. Look at that thing. Don't open it, Chuck. We'll give it to Dad. He won't drink it. It's Diet Coke. Dad's not here today because he's sick of you guys. Sorry. So this Holy Spirit inside of you and me uh, is... We can do this for a contrast, okay? Think way back to the book of Genesis. Or as they say... I'm just going to make a stupid joke. And then I couldn't even remember it to finish it. Isn't that dumb? Really? Okay. Uh, In the book of Genesis, remember this story? Everybody on earth spoke the same language. And they decided, we're going to build a tower to God. We're going to get from earth to heaven by human effort. Remember this? Or no? Yeah. So they started to build. And I don't know if it made that sound. Actually, I know it did. But in the midst of it... It says God confused them. And uh, that's where the, the Bible says where the different languages are born, right? That all of a sudden everybody's speaking, like the guy speaking Cantonese to a guy who's speaking uh, Kenyan dialect to a guy who's speaking Spanish. See, and they all get confused and go away, right? Remember that story? That's what happens when humans try to make their way to God by willpower or human ingenuity. That's the law. Now, what happens when humans are just sitting there praying and waiting? Remember this? Uh, The spirit comes down and biffs them. And suddenly, people who all speak different languages can understand each other. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Unity can only come through the Holy Spirit. And if we could teach everybody in the Catholic Church this, that rules don't bring unity, at best they bring uniformity. No, unity comes from the Holy Spirit. So when we were building that church, I just talked about this Sunday. I did, didn't I care? I walked around that thing all the time, begging the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, pour out and over into this place. Why? Because my efforts, I might give my best, but I'm a limited, sinful human being. And I probably could, by sheer willpower, create some sort of unity. But A, it would die when I died. It would fail when I failed. And C, a lot of people would have to get crushed. Yeah? That's how it goes. Humans can't make unity on their own. 
We can do uniformity, but for uniformity to happen, the disagreeers got to be crushed. And this is happening in the America in America right now. I think I told you uh, uh, what's his name, Doctor, um, who just did that lecture and said, uh, and he wasn't being a panic button guy. He said, "Our country has never been this close to to a civil war, right? Never." He said, "Not since the 1860s." And it's not because we hate each other. It's because we make so many assumptions about why the other side believes what they do. Yeah? I'm amazed at how many of my friends who are lefties politically, everything they think the right thinks didn't come from the right. It came from what their lefty friends told them the right thinks. And a lot of my friends who are righty, I can't believe how many of them don't like the left, not for what the left actually believes, but because of what their righty friends tell them the left believes. And, and so we're driving each other insane. And we're hating each other for things that don't exist. Things that people actually don't believe. We don't talk. We don't pray. We talk just about each other, not to each other. And we don't pray. We don't invite the Holy Spirit in. And it's so crazy to me. Anytime I write, and it's true, it just happened last week. You know that if we want the country to be what we have, what, what God wants it to be, we have to pray. What was the second response? Well, we have to act. Okay. Do you really think we need to act? Has anyone ever looked at Americans and went, you know, they need to do more? What if we all stopped trying so hard to fix things and prayed that the Holy Spirit do it? And how's the Holy Spirit going to do it? By changing you, not them, you. Yeah. I so the Holy Spirit, we look at Babel versus Pentecost, and we see the, the difference between man-made attempts at unity and divine movements toward unity. Okay. What we find then is that our ability to discern the application of the law comes from the Holy Spirit and our ability to listen to that gentle nudge of the Lord over the shouting in our brain and even the shouting of our leaders. Um, this is the stuff the Holy Spirit offers. So some of you might say, well, I'm confirmed and I don't know what the heck you're talking about. I'm there. Okay. All I remember about my confirmation is that I got a piggy bank from my buddy, Mike. That's what I remember, Mike Perch, or Mike Shashinsky. Do you know Mike Shashinsky? Mm -hmm. He made me this piggy bank out of a coffee can. And it had the little pipe cleaner antenna. It was an alien. I don't want to brag. I got an alien bank. You didn't. <laughs> That's what I remember. And I remember, oh, I played violin for it, right? I was in the choir at the time, and I was banging on my fiddle. That's it. Oh, and I remember Bishop Pavish gave the homily he gave to every confirmation for 832 years. The good, good housekeeping seal of approval. If you're my agent in the Diocese of Lansing, you know that homily. What happens if that's my experience? Did I, did I miss the boat? No. This is a covenant. God made a covenant with you, not a contract. If he made a contract, yeah, you're host. Because contract says you do your part, I do mine. A covenant, God says, no, 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 I'm doing my part. I hope you do yours, <laughs> but I'm doing my part. That spirit is still in you. And what you need to do is this simplest thing. And I do this a lot. Sit in quiet and say this, come Holy Spirit. 
or if you want to say in Latin, Vene Sancte Spiritus, right? Come Holy Spirit, come breath of the living God. Wash over me, wash through me. Drive from me anything not of you. Come Holy Spirit, focus my mind, fill my heart, heal my wounds. Come Holy Spirit. Whatever your need is, you speak that to the Holy Spirit. And you sit in the quiet and you wait. Sometimes you'll feel something, sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll know something profound happened, even if you can't name it. But the Holy Spirit never fails. Call on the Holy Spirit. I have a chaotic mind. I'm an emotional guy. I can be very up and down. And so when I stop to go into someone's home, someone who's dying or someone who's sick, uh, I've run into homes where incredible violence was unfolding. Uh, all these things, I stop. Come Holy Spirit. Because I want to bring something more into the equation than me. Uh, and I don't want me too much in there. Come Holy Spirit. You're at work, and everybody's crapping on that one dude or dudette. Come, Holy Spirit. Right? Um, how many of you have been sold out by coworkers or have sold out coworkers? How many of us have broken and ended relationships just because it was too hard? And I get it. Some have to end. Hear me out. But make sure the Holy Spirit is in on your decision. I don't know whether to do A or B. Okay, come Holy Spirit, show me what to do. And sometimes it will be very subtle. Sometimes it will be obnoxious. I, I think I told you all about the time I was talking. My best friend in the world, Father Jeff Rose, we were talking on the phone. I can tell you right where I was. I was on Lake Lansing Road. This was years ago. And all of a sudden, clear as a bell, Lord told me, pull into there. And I'm dead serious. Ask Jeff. And I said, Jeff, I don't know what this is, but the Lord wants me in that store. He's like, you got to know Jeff. Go. And he hung up. So I pulled in, walked in. It was a quality dairy. Uh, and I kind of just walked in and started looking around. I don't know why I'm here. Well, there were two of my former students who were crying. And I hadn't seen them in years. Uh, and they had just prayed that Jesus would send them some help. They were in some trouble. And they said, next thing we know, you walk in the door. Um, I've experienced things like that. I've also experienced things where I felt nothing, but just did the next thing that seemed logical, and that was the Lord. You get me? Once you invite that spirit in and you intend to obey, he'll get you there. If you would have told me in 1992 that a year later I'd be in the seminary, I would not have believed you. And not that I was rebellious against God, I wasn't. But there were a lot of reasons I would have said, well, that's not possible. And I didn't make any great effort or any, I just prayed every day. If that's what you want, Lord, get me there. I got turned down twice before that. And the way it unfolded is insane. I mean, insane. And I won't bore you with it. The Spirit will get you there. When, when the bishop called and told me I was coming here, I, I didn't know what to do. 
right? Well, what do you want, Lord? Well, my proper authority told me. I know now, right? And everything since then. And, and, and I remember sitting with Carrie, one of my first months here, and I'm like, I have no idea what to do. This is way too much data, way too much need. This is way too big of a thing. And somehow the Lord got it done. I don't know how he does it. I gave up trying to figure it out. So uh, this is in you, okay? And you can never forget that. Uh, we, we met Nick yesterday. Remember Nick? Niklaus, right? That's how you say his name. If I watch you guys through this, Nike Laus. That's how you say his name. Nike Laus in Greek. And what does that mean? Nike is super conqueror. And Laos is the people, right? So he is the conqueror. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Conqueror of the people, Niklaus. Um, and that's the word Paul uses when he says we are more than conquerors. He's saying we, are, because of the spirit that's in us, there's nothing that can stop us from being holy. It can stop us from getting what we want or what we want to pretend God wants, whatever. But nothing can stop us from being holy. And when you look at um, the age of martyrs, right? The, in the early church and the age of martyrs, which is now, there's more Christian martyrs now than at any point in history. What is it? Is it human willpower? Is it stubbornness? I'll bet for some of them it's some stubbornness, but it's the Holy Spirit. I might be able to lay down my life for Christ without the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but I know I couldn't love those who were killing me without the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Isn't this cool? I love the Holy Spirit. I do. Um, so I'll encourage you all. Um, Oh, these are some good questions. I better get after these. Okay, so I encourage you all every day, right? Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Sometimes I say it fast, almost, well, now it's a habit. And praise God, I've got bad habits, so it's nice to have a good one. But come Holy Spirit, just, it, it's this, it's a knowledge, a recognition, and I know this sounds funny, and this is the Lord, not me. Oh, sweet God, not me. It's a recognition that works, <laughs> right? That works. Crazy brain Joe can actually focus sometimes with, come Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, so what was the meaning of Pentecost before the apostles? It was a harvest festival. Um, uh, kind of cool stuff, yeah. Uh, did Pentecost change when the whole, oh, same question, isn't it? Yeah, so Pentecost was a Jewish festival, a harvest festival, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of joy. Um, you know, got to remember early humans, their life until, gosh, early humans, my butt, humans until about 300 years ago. Your life revolved around a few things, okay? Springtime, you plant. Uh, late summer, early fall, you harvest. And then you pray you don't run out of food before the next harvest. And, and I'm dead serious. Like, you even remember, I think I told you every major culture had a feast in late December, early January of some kind where you eat all the stuff that's going to go bad and you eat like crazy people and you gorge yourself because you're going to be really hungry. Um, it's amazing. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Dan Brown, not the author, uh, but a real, uh, no, Dan Jones. Uh, uh, he's a British historian, uh, and I'm trying to think of the book he wrote about this. He wrote like 500 books, but he wrote about how for most of human existence until the last 400 years, humans spend a good deal of time almost starving. Right? Isn't that crazy? At starvation level, uh, which is insane. Uh, 
uh, if you want to have some sense of it, now you're going to laugh. It's probably a stupid example, but stick with me, right? The reason we kill deer in Michigan is because we killed all the predators. And if we don't, they all die of hunger in the spring. Uh, so I always look, like dad taught me to look. In late January, early February, you're looking to see if deer are eating, quote, starvation food. Right. Oh, you know about this. Yeah, you're, you're, you're from my kind of tribe. And why are you doing that? Because that way, that's how they figure out how many deer they allow you to kill next year. Um, and of course, less and less people are hunting. And so more and more deer are dying of hunger or running out in the highway. <laughs> right. Uh, well, that's how humans lived. Right. There was only enough food. There's no refrigeration. There's no storage. There's no. Yeah, you get me. Okay. Uh, was this the, was Pentecost the first awareness of the Holy Spirit? I think no. Um, and I think I'm going to say the right thing here with a pretty high level of confidence, but not really high. Um, namely, uh, the Holy Spirit was referred to a few times in scripture, scripture, but usually as quote, the spirit of God. Jews don't believe in the Trinity, right? God's one, right? Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord, your God is one and you shall worship him alone. Okay. Uh, now for us, we believe the Trinity is one, but like my Jewish friends are like, brah, that's three. <laughs> okay. Uh, which we could have that discussion some other time, uh, but it is kind of funny, right? Like, uh, one of my buddies who's a, who's a Muslim always says Catholics are polytheists, right? Jews believe a lot of them believe we're polytheists. We worship three gods. Now we worship one. Well, what is the one? The father, son, and Holy spirit. Yeah. That's three, Joe. Uh, tough to explain. What were we talking about? Oh, so whenever you see in the Old Testament, quote, the spirit of God stirred up, we believe that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, so what are some examples? Uh, Elisha, the prophet, Elisha, the prophet, uh, King David. Um, the, the, at one point it says the spirit of the living God seized King David and he danced like a madman. In, in, the, in the eyes of his very secular wife, he made a fool of himself. But no, he was filled with the spirit of the living God. Um, uh, lots and lots of these. Isaiah, uh, we could go on and on. Tons of appearances of Ruah in um, the Old Testament, which we translate the breath of God or the spirit of God. Uh, but we don't really call it the Holy Spirit until Christians got a hold of the idea. I think I'm saying these things right. Okay. Um, I was confirmed at 17 many years ago, but now the age range varies. Any reason for the age changed for confirmation? Yeah, it's a mess, right? Um, and I say that with love, truly, right? It's kind of actually nice when Romans aren't trying to control every detail. But um, for our Orthodox brothers and sisters, they confirm at baptism, right? And if you get baptized after seven years of age, the priest does baptism, confirmation, first communion, right? Those are the rules. So why do we keep changing it? Because we really haven't settled. Uh, and I think once we unhooked ourselves from bapt confirmation at birth, I think we've been struggling to find our way ever since. And we'll probably land the plane somewhere. But gee, I think we've changed the age every year since I got here. Uh, just because, frankly, I'm going to be totally candid. 
it seems the most common phenomenon is, well, you're never going to see these kids again. You're never going to see their parents again, right? For many Catholics, tragically, a sacrament is a hoop you jump, a process you complete, right? Uh, instead of the manifestation of a relationship, it's the hoop. So get my kid confirmed. Like, I don't see any, I see barely any high school kids at church on Sunday. Um, and every sacrament, we always joke about this. It's like, wow, not a lot of new people, you know. Um, it's just, it's how we roll as American Catholics. Uh, it's not reflective of other cultures, although it is reflective of some. So we're all trying to find our way. Uh, and that's, that all seemed much darker than I intended. I just think it's a reflection of this. We're trying to find the balance between meeting people where they're at and actually offering them something they need, right? We believe they need conf conf confirmation. If we do it like we originally did, we'll never see these people again. And it's not about numbers, it's about hope. Like we want them here so we can offer them hope, so that we have a hope for a conversion. And if there's a way to frankly hook them and keep them here, as long as we can, well, heck yeah, because we believe this, right? We'd be, we'd be hateful people if we didn't. But at the same time, when do you just say the culture is louder and they're all in on culture? Yeah. Is this, yeah, and did that sound too dark? No. Okay. So I think we'll, oh my gosh, it's after, um, what do you call we'll it? Get started late. Okay. Uh, I was confirmed at the age of two weeks way back when. Was this valid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, really, a priest can kind of do it whenever, depending on some circumstances. And if you don't mind, I won't walk you through all the circumstances because A, I'll mess it up. And B, uh, I don't know how that information will help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've confirmed infants. Like, God, this is horrible. But when I am going to baptize a baby that's, well, remember, we just baptized a baby who wasn't going to live a week. So we did what we did, what the law requires, baptism, confirmation, first communion. Right. Um, uh, now that baby miraculously rallied. But of course, that doesn't always happen. Um, okay. So I think I'll wrap us up. Uh, we apologize for the technical difficulties. Uh, it's all Carrie, really. When it works, that's me. Uh, when it doesn't work, Carrie. But I do want to take some time real quick and thank you so much. You guys, I can't believe you listened to this. I'm so glad. I love talking about Jesus. God help you people. Um, and what we're going to hit next is one of my favorite topics. Uh, Next, we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit makes us three things as a church, right? A person, oh dear, three things that I'm not going to tell you. But so we'll get into that and uh, hopefully it will help you because one of the last things we'll do in this foundation with this is try to get you to see that church is, the church is not primarily an institution. The church is a person. Uh, the bride of Christ, that person is Jesus, those three things. And to see then that too often we accidentally treat it just like another company. Well, there's a boss, there's, there's profits, there's non-profits, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, uh, we will wrap this up with a prayer and I will see you beautiful people tomorrow for question and answer. It's question and answer here, it's somewhere different tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, it's down in the hall. Okay, groovy because of the auction. The nice. We'll talk a lot about the auction. We will. I'm excited about this. All right. Salad break.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Man, we were lost. In classic you, Lord, you went all in to save us. You gave us your very self. You gave us your Son. You gave us the Holy Spirit. You gave and you give all these things over and over, and you will never quit till it's done. And we are so grateful. Help us to remember to call on you. Help us to remember your spirit alive within us, which makes us more than conquerors. Oh, Lord, we ask that you come and, and change us in whatever way you need to help us rebuild this broken, broken culture, not based on our stupid politics or our personal opinions or what we hope is true, but on you. And help us not to try to force and create unity, but to participate in the unity your spirit offers. You know, you know the people right now that each of us are thinking of that we love so much and fret about. And you know all of those circumstances that we lug around and, and, and we fret about. And all of them belong to you, so we give them to you because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I will see you people tomorrow for question and answer. Until then, peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.